Turn your Bible to Josh chapter 1 and verse 1. Josh chapter 1 and verse 1. The title of my message tonight, and I, I, I honestly, I mean this. This is the happiest place on earth. You know, Martin Smith was with us this morning, and he was with you guys last night. And, uh, man, you don't want to have a guest in your church Sunday morning after they come to your place on Saturday night. Because all they talk about is how wonderful the experience is. Like, man, it's like we got to step up. I mean, the man, I don't want the man to have a big letdown by the time he gets to L.A. after being with you guys, man. He just, all he talked about was how much joy you guys brought him. And uh, I just think that's so cool that there's just a circle of friends on this whole area that we all roll together. Amen. And we give candy bars to each other when we're dying and wonderful things. And uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be care- How many know that God sometimes has to repeat that over and over to us until we get it, you know? And uh, uh, be careful to obey all that the, the Moses gave you. Do not turn to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, here you go again, that's that term, you will be prosperous and successful. I'm going to teach you tonight on the subject of overnight success versus a lifetime of success. Let's pray. Father, I pray as I deliver this word tonight that you administer to us, Lord. And I've been pastoring for 23 years now, my neighbors, since I was 20 years of age. And coming on my 23 year, the third year in the same neighborhood, in the same place, And I just pray, Lord, that you would just allow this thought to get to everyone tonight because you're doing something in our life. And I just pray that it will come forth in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting here that Joshua is getting ready to enter into the promised land. He's getting ready to uh, walk into this great miracle. and, And you talk about success. Walking into the promised land was a pretty big move for the people of Israel. It had been something they'd been longing for. But Joshua relates the idea of success not to the fact they were getting ready to go into the promised land, although that was what they were about to do. He relates success unto meditating on the Word of God, unto loving the Word of God, unto meditating on the law of God and obeying all of His commandments. What he was saying is the inheritance of the promised land is not the thing that's going to make us successful and prosperous. Meditating and obeying the, the laws of God is the very thing that's going to make us prosperous. And he began under, he was teaching that there was something that they had to have on the inside that would make them successful. And I, and I began to understand over all these years and, uh, and, and all the years of ministry that God ha- has given in my life that, that sometimes God does his greatest work in your life and you don't even know that the greatest work is going on in your life. I can tell you that God's ways isn't always the easy way and it's not often the road that leads to overnight success. You see, the difference between an overnight success and a lifetime of success is that overnight success can often send you down a wrong road that you were never meant to go down in the first place. 
When I came to L.A., I thought, man, overnight success. I thought, boy, I really did it. I mean, I had all the greatest hit sermons of every preacher who ever came. I, I, and I had access to it because my dad was a, one of the first megachurch pastors. So I had all the files. I had all the sermons, bootleg sermons. I had everything. Of everybody who's ever preached for my church from Oral Roberts, I mean, to every generation you can imagine. And so when I got to L.A., man, I literally, the first 10 weeks, I had the greatest hit sermons of every preacher. I preached the greatest hits of every famous preacher at that time. Man, I thought, boy, because I got this catalog of sermons that nobody else has stolen from the files in the secret cabinets of Tommy Barnett. Everybody's going to come and hear me preach, but the, but the, the sad fact is nobody came to hear me preach. And, and it left me with a lot of lonely nights as a 20-year-old pastor, a lot of nights wondering what was going on in my home church. And because everyone had to figure it out. I was going to be the golden boy. I was going to follow my dad. And uh, everyone figured out when I was going to pastor. They figured out who I was going to marry. And I had ladies in the church that were prophetic who would come up and tell me that the Lord has said, you ought to marry my daughter. So my life was already figured out, you know. And I, there was an overnight plan to my life. You know, and, uh, and, and so uh, I began to understand that, you know, that I thought that's what God had for my life. I thought that I was, I was being the greatest failure because my church had diminished down to nothing in the first year. But I realized that God was doing something greater than the overnight success. He was building something in my heart because he was trying to prepare me for a lifetime of success. It's like King David. Think about King David. He, he's coming into the scene, and all of a sudden, he's a young boy. He knocks down Goliath. People are singing songs about David. I mean, literally, they are singing songs on the radio of Israel, if there ever was one, about David. And, and, and I mean, you talk about momentum. You talk about overnight success. He knocks down the giant. He leads a revolution, a war, a battle, confidence in his soldiers to take over all the other soldiers in the valley. And all this great stuff is happening. And all of a sudden, overnight, he's a success. But then suddenly, a jealous Saul begins to chase him down, and he's hiding out in a cave. You talk about a loss of momentum. David must have thought that literally his life was over. But right there in that cave, when David was running from a jealous King Saul, when he was running from a bitter man that was framing the message of his day. You see, David couldn't defend himself. He couldn't match the message that was getting out. The king could have framed the message any way that he wanted to about why David was in prison, why he was running, why he was a fugitive. He couldn't defend himself. He couldn't do anything. All he had to do was to sit there in that cave and absorb and endure and try to find success in things that are not seen on the outside. But oftentimes in our life, we have got to learn to find success in the little things in life. And sometimes just enduring is an amazing act of success in our walk with God. Sometimes just hanging in there one more day when you want to go back to that addiction is the amazing success in the kingdom of God. And God was trying to do something in the heart of David. He wasn't trying to make David into an overnight success because he had bigger plans for David than just knocking down that giant. He had greater plans for David than just that one great victory. He was going to be a great king. He was going to lead. He was going to do amazing things. He was going to rule half the kingdoms of his day. But in order to do that, David would have to learn how to find the joy in that cave, praise in the cave, persevere in the cave. And God took David and said, the way for you to get to the palace is by way of the cave. And David's uh, role to the palace, he had to go through the cave in order to get there. And I want to tell you something. There's people here in this room, you think you're going through the worst season of your life. Can I tell you, you might be going through the greatest season of your life. God might be preparing you for something great. 
You might be climbing your Mount Everest in your call of God, but to get to Mount Everest to the top, you got to stop at different stations along the way to acclimate to the new altitudes before you get ready to go to the next place in your life. And David is in the cave, and he's in this place of his life, but God was preparing him for long-term success. Don't chase success. Pursue faithfulness. And God allowed me to go through a lot of valleys in my life, a lot of experiences, a lot of people. Um, the first month I got there, I had five people that helped me plant the church. They all left. They got homesick the first month. And they all said, we don't want to be under a 20-year-old pastor. I don't disagree with them. I probably would have left my church, too. I mean, I was 20, you know. And, and I had one lady in the audience, and she made me mad because she thought that, um, that my, my dad, Tommy Barnett, was the one that they voted in to take over the church of 20 people. And uh, so she got, uh, the church got, because they were all over 80 years of age, uh, most of them were, and they got kind of messed up, and they thought that they were voting my dad in, and they got me instead at 20. And so um, I would preach my sermon, and she'd be out there, and uh, as I was preaching, she would stick her tongue at me in the middle of my sermon. She'd be like, <laughs> and she would make faces at me. And one day I said, you know what, I'm going to get even. And I decided to preach a whole sermon based upon one person that made me mad. Which is the biggest mistake you can ever make in ministry. That is like, that is so fleshly, it's wrong. I went home, and, and I knew that I, I felt so dirty on the inside. You know, because there were, there were eight people in the church who needed a good word, and, and one person made me mad, and I was so offended by that one person, I couldn't bless the other eight people out there. And I went home, and I cried. I said, Dad, I, I'm not fit to be a minister. I quit the ministry. I'm done. And I told my dad. My dad told me the story. He said, young man, let me tell you the story about a young man that I knew. A young man that one day got up. And my dad's stories are always him. But he has to tell it for 30 minutes, and I knew it was him in the first two. And then at the end of the story, he goes, who was that young man? I said, Dad, it was you. He's like, how did, how did you know that? I'm like, I knew it in the first two minutes because every story is that way, you know. And he told a story about how he did the same thing. And he said, are you going to quit the ministry and uh, are you going to be crushed by uh, the mistake that you made? Or are you going to get up and learn from that mistake and bless people for the rest of your life in the ministry? It's up to you. So I went up to that lady and I apologized for preaching a whole sermon based upon her offending me. And she didn't even know I was preaching about her. I'm like, man. I shouldn't have said anything, you know. Now she's really mad, you know. I'm like, man, I apologized to her. And uh, she, she, she was so perfect, she didn't think I was even talking about her, you know. And, uh, and I, I just remember being in that old building and looking out and uh, feeling like a failure every day of my life. You know, it's a, it's a tragic thing when we get to the place where we feel like a failure every day. And the enemy just wants you to feel like a failure based upon everything that you see or everything that you want to see that you don't see. And I didn't see a whole lot of things, to be honest with you. I, I was, had ulcers in my stomach at 20 years of age because I was so bound by what was out there and not what God was trying to do in my life. And then God began to break me down. This is what he spoke to me. He said, why are you worrying and stressing out about your calling? I want you to commit yourself to the city of L.A. for the rest of your life. He said, I want you to give the rest of your life. And he said, because you're given the rest of your life, you don't have to be discouraged by just a few uh, bad days or weeks that you have. Because you're going to have 60 years of the rest of your life to try to figure it out. So why get discouraged about what's going on? Because at some point you'll figure it out if you stay in there long enough and don't quit, you know. And so the greatest decision, I said, God, I commit myself to be a servant. 
to be a city janitor in my city, and I just want to be a volunteer for God. I just want to serve. And you know what God did? God took me out of that mindset of feeling like a success was only things that I would accomplish. And he began to allow me to understand what you guys get here tonight. And that is that the joy of life, of lifetime success, is not always everything that you accomplish, but it's everything that you love and believe on the inside. And then as I said, God, if I could just live my life as a servant, then I'll be a success. I, don't have, I can live my life as a lifetime of success if I carry the heart that you have, and I don't have to worry about overnight success. And God said, just become what I want you to be, and I will, I will accomplish what I want to accomplish I went home and I no longer stressed about things. And I went, I went home and I just started to live free. I started to use whatever God gave me to help people, man. I never forget those old cheap Kmart weights that we bought for all the gangsters in the neighborhood where we lifted weights with them. And the cheap Kmart weights that were like 25 pounds of concrete, you know, at Kmart. And then you'd drop them and they would break off and it would be 23.7 pounds, you know. And I mean, that's what I had back then. But you know what? I, I didn't worry about having the big building. I didn't worry about having a dream center. It was just, it was like a hot potato. God, whatever you put in my hand, I want to use. And God said, I want to build something in a lifetime in you. I want to build a lifetime vision. But that comes by the ingredients of your heart and what you learn through adversity more than it comes by what you accomplish on the outside. And so people are driving from Phoenix who are like, Pastor, why are you even here? Why aren't you back in Phoenix? I mean, you got nothing going on here. I said, nothing going on here. You should see. They said, there's graffiti on your walls. I'm all, that's not graffiti. That's beautiful art right there, you know. And uh, they're like, Pastor, and, and I'm just walking around and, and, and just loving where I was at on the way to where I was going. And that's the secret of life. That's how you become a lifetime of success. There was David. He was there. He thinks he's going through the hardest time of his life. But what was going on is he was going through the best time of his life. Because it was there where God was teaching him how to be a great leader that would need to overcome things in his life. Who would need to overcome things in his personal life. Who would need to lead an entire nation. And, and I began to understand that God was doing something extraordinary in me and I didn't even know it. There are people here in this room, you are going through a season of your life that you think is devastating you. But you're going to come to the other side of that, and you're going to say like David, it was good for me that I was afflicted because that affliction is the very thing that allowed me to pursue the lifetime path of being what God wants me to be. Okay, I, I, I'm going to say that this is, not, this is like an opinion, okay, because you might be right, I might be wrong, I might be wrong, you might be right, but um, I, I'm a super competitive person, like in sports, like my daughter practically lives here now in San Diego, because she's always playing in club soccer tournaments against all these great San Diego teams, so we're always driving up here, in Encinitas, we were playing tournaments in La Jolla, we're always, we're always down here. And so, um, like, I am, like, super competitive when it comes to sports and things like that. Like, my wife and I will play ping pong, and if she beats me, I won't talk to her the rest of the night. I won't. It's a serious issue. Like, sometimes she'll just lose on purpose because she feels like it's better for the marriage if she lets me win. And, and that's what our marriage has come down to. It's really bad. It's horrible, you know. And, uh, and so uh, she saved our marriage many times. And I can't figure out. She gets to 2014, and she'll hit, like, eight balls in the net. And she'll be like, and, and she's good at faking it, too, like that. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh man, I just a bad shot. But uh, now I got to the place where I know that she's letting me win. But I'm still happy that I won, you know. And, uh, and so... <laughs> And so, like, for years, for years, I used to think, I used to think, and many of you will agree with this, but I used to think, you know, because it's very popular in our culture that, um, that, that we should not give, like, trophies or medals to kids who don't win championships. We should only give it to people who win first place. I agree. I, I understand that because I thought that for years. And, um, I, like, you know, but I believe that. We ought to give, like, 
gold medals to champions and big trophies and massive trophies to teams that win first place and all that. I totally get that because I'm a competitive person. But the other day I was thinking, I was just watching a little league game, and, uh, and, um, and, and, and God just began to speak to me. He said, you know what, I, I, to some degree, I really do believe in participation medals. Here's why. I believe in them because we, maybe we shouldn't call them participation. We should call them finisher medals. Because we ought to reward kids that start something from the beginning. Now, don't give them the gold medal trophy because that's a separate accomplishment. But why not give something away to a kid that starts something and finishes it? You're a finisher. I mean, I think we live in a, I think we live in a culture that just promotes talent all the time. Talent, talent, talent. But we don't promote character. How many of you know that we ought to promote character as much as we promote talent in our generation? Now, I, I know you don't agree with me on that. I know. I, you, but if you do, that's okay. But I believe that we ought to teach our kids how to finish. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. We need to have a spirit of a finisher on the inside. Because if you have the spirit of a finisher, you'll be successful as years go on. And you might not have the most talent. Because the truth is, a lot of Lily teams just have more talent. They, they won the lottery when it came to the best teams that they got. But I realized, I, saw, I, I told my, my son that we're just going to finish everything. And that's the way it is. My dad, he would never let me quit anything. It was a disaster. He would literally, my dad, like if I start something, he would make me finish it. If I started badminton, he'd be like, you got to finish it now. My like, dad, I just want to play for like one practice. Now you got to finish it because you started it, you know. And, and that's the way that God wants us to be. He wants us to live our life as finishers. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Like when you run a marathon, when somebody gives you a medal, you don't say, well, I didn't win first place. The Kenyans beat me. So I'm not going to take this marathon medal. No, you're like, I won that marathon. I went through the gates of hell to get there, you know. Oh, Lord, put that medal on me, you know. I'm so happy just to have the medal, you know. And uh, of course you're happy when you finish a marathon. Of course, you don't expect to beat the Kenyans and all that. You're just glad that someone put a medal around your neck. You are a finisher. It's so funny when I, uh, when, when, when I, when I ran the marathon um, not long ago, and there's this uh, um, start of the race, and there's this uh, thing called Legacy Runners. They were honoring these guys that had run, um, you know, a couple years ago, my first marathon, and this guy was like 80 years of age, and they're like, oh, the Legacy Marathons, come to the front, runners. And this 80-year-old man came up here, and he's like this, he's like, like this, and he's like getting ready to run the marathon. I'm kind of like, dude, that guy's not finishing. And, uh, but he's just like waving his hand like this, and this guy's been running the marathon for 40 years, you know, and they're going on and on about him. And then, uh, and so when the race and went off, um, I, I just started off. I saw this man. I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, congratulations, sir. And I, I blew by him. I mean, I mean, I just blew by him. And you'll say, Pastor, why are you bragging on, on running past an 80-year-old man in the marathon? Because a win is a win. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so I, I ran past him, you know, and, and I said, I'm so proud of you, sir. And we were all running. And then we got to mile 18, the wall, around the wall time. There's a certain turn, like past Rodeo Drive and down that area, where all of a sudden bodies were just hitting the floor. I mean, I thought, I thought Benny Hinn was on the sideline somewhere, you know. I mean, people, they're like flying everywhere. I'm like, where are these people falling down everywhere, you know. And uh, they were all over the place. It looked like a war zone. It hit everybody at once. And it hit me. I'm like stumbling, you know. I'm just trying to stay up. And I'm running. And, uh, and I can't. I never even realized the wall existed. And then about mile 21, the 80-year-old man was running behind me. And he can't, he remembered that I pat him on the back. He patted me on the back. He said, keep going, sir. And he went all the way to the finish line. It's not how you start in life. It's how you finish. It's not about being an overnight success. It's about the marathon, the longevity. He who endures to the end shall be saved. 
Oh, I wanted short-term success so bad. I just wanted. I mean, I, I'm envious, and I think it's wonderful. All these new church plants in like six months they grow. I mean, I I wish that that would. I, I promote that. That's what that should happen. That's a good thing, but that didn't happen to me. I had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I came in the 1990s during the gangster wars and all this stuff and the riots. And, the, and I'm trying to build a church. I look like the kid from Home Alone. I'm trying to pastor. And this is like a disaster. I couldn't even get a keyboardist to show up. And I was just so discouraged. And I felt like a failure every day of my life. And one day God said, you're not a failure if you just keep getting back up and you keep learning and growing. One day God woke me up in the middle of the night and spoke to me and said, it's impossible to be a failure when you're a servant. You just serve. You just serve. You just, you, you don't even worry about a praise or accolades. You just get up and you just give your best and you love people. And, and so I just buy little bags of candy and give them away to the moms and as they're walking their kids to school. And, and uh, we'd have little tutoring classes that, that we'd have. And we didn't have anything. I wasn't even good at school, but I said, come to the tutoring class. And the kids would come in. They'd be like third graders. They'd be like, can you help me with my homework? I'm like, I don't even know that. But I got you through the door anyways, praise God, you know. And, uh, and God was wanting to do something more. I didn't know, and um, if they, I don't know if they had the B-roll, but I don't know if they had, I didn't realize God had a hospital in store that one day we would be in a big old hospital on the Hollywood freeway. I didn't realize that God would allow this place to have 800 residents that live here every day now. And we just opened up an entire floor for homeless veterans three months ago and uh, taking these right there, that floor right there on top. That whole floor, I just, I've shown this before, but I love to see it on this big screen. It's kind of cool. And uh, I, never real, that, that, I never realized that was God's long-term plan. But if I fell in love with overnight success, I would have quit a long time ago and not realized that I needed to go through that brokenness in the cave of my life of learning that God wasn't looking for me to do something great overnight. He was looking for something on the inside that would grow a mindset and an attitude that would cultivate the magnitude of a vision that was bigger than something that would happen overnight. It would grow into something over decades and decades of time. What's going on in your heart is more important than what could ever go on in the visible world of what you see. And that's why tonight we're celebrating people here that are giving their life to serve, giving their life to make a difference, giving their life on volunteer night. Why? Because tonight we are celebrating things that can never be taken away from you. Success is fleeting. Economies come and go. You can't judge your success based upon what's happening around you. Some things are just going to be out of your control. You can't control an economy sometimes, but you can always get back up again and say, God, I want you just to allow me to be used in whatever capacity I can to make a difference. That's why the house of God is so important. Because the world around us changes. Economies change. Things happen all the time. But the house of God is always here to cultivate the passion of serving and making a difference for the glory of God. The other day, um, yeah, uh, Saturday, we had this thing that happened. So what's happened in L.A., I'm not going to get into the politics of this, but um, in L.A. what happens is they have a new rule that they come in and the police come by and they raid the homeless encampments and they do it whenever they want. It's kind of a random selection where the, the police get in there and they just, they, they just raid everything. And so all the homeless people's stuff is taken. So we were down there the other day and uh, we were out in Adopted Block and they went in and did a, a big old raid and these homeless people were just without their stuff. They were panicking. And our people were literally right there during the raid. And as the police were taking their stuff away, we were grabbing them by the hand. And we were taking them into the Dream Center where they had a place to live when everything was taken away from them, you know. And the police were like, wait, 
What's going on here? We're like, as you're taking their stuff and they were throwing it away, and that was the only possessions they had, we were bringing them into the house of God and giving them a place to live and have, a new, and have all their stuff back. That's the only thing. You see, governments can make laws, but God's people can, are the ones who change hearts. We're the ones that be there. You might realize that every, every ministry is different. Every church is different. We all serve in different ways because we're in different neighborhoods. We're in different communities. We have different ways that we do it. But the one thing is true, and that is we just simply make ourselves available to say, God, I want to be a long-term success. And the way that I become a long-term su- success is to die to all the things I see as being success on the outside and realize that it's always going to be what's in the heart that makes you successful. The spirit in which you carry. You'll say, Pastor, you must be having a good time now that you have that hospital. I mean, that hospital now is worth like $60 million that we can sell that building for. People can't figure out why we don't sell that building because uh, the work of God is not for sale, man. They will never be for sale. I mean, I mean, it's never, I mean, it's, it, but there's some things in life that you just, you're passionate about forever. And, and, and people can't figure out, you know, and why you guys are able to survive all these years, you know. And, and, and governments are coming by saying, how are you guys alive? Because you're not relying on government funds and all of this. And I tell them, there's an army of people that you don't know about called the church out there. That's the most generous and kind, servant-hearted people. God is doing great things in our life. And sometimes you just need to sit back and rest and let the Lord do what he needs to do in you because what he's doing in you is preparing you for something that is so far beyond the temporary goals and plans that you have. Sometimes, like David, you got to go through that valley. And David's wondering, what is going on here? I just knocked down the giant. I just accomplished one of the greatest things of all time. And now I'm in a cave. I must not be a success anymore. And God's like, nah, in that cave, I'm going to bring criminals in your path, and uh, I'm going to bring people to refresh you that you never even knew were going to be available to you. I'm going to teach you how to praise in the middle of your cave. I'm going to teach you how to persevere in the middle of that cave. I'm going to teach you how to rejoice in the middle of your cave. I'm going to teach you how not to get revenge of King Saul when you have the chance in that cave. Because one day, I'm going to need you to do something far beyond knocking down giants. I'm going to need you to rule nations. In order to do that, i got to do something in here that's greater than just that big old giant. You think that was a pinnacle of your life. That's nothing in comparison to what I'm about to do in you and make you on the inside. And one day I just told God, I said, God, you know what? I don't even want to be a success. I just want to be a blessing. I just want to be a blessing. You know, and, 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 and I just said, God, I said, that's all I want to do is be a blessing. And the Lord began to change everything. He said, you want to be a blessing? I'll take you down a road that you never knew existed. And God began to um, allow me to, to minister to human trafficking victims. That wasn't in my heart. That wasn't in my success plan. That wasn't in my vision of, of, of a short-term success, but in the long-term process of saying, God, I just want to be a servant like you guys are on this volunteer night. I don't even know what I like, what I love, but I make myself available. And when you make yourself available to serve, you'll start loving things you didn't even know that you loved. You'll start loving people you didn't know that you love. You'll work in the cafe, and maybe in the past you weren't even like a, a really nice person. I'm sure you're very nice who worked there. Now I'm just using this illustration if you weren't nice. And realize that you became nice by working in that cafe. I mean, whatever it is for the glory of God, you don't know, but God is making you on the inside by just making yourself available for the glory of God. 
And I said, God, I just want to be a city janitor. Whatever you want me to do, I'll just pick up broken pieces and tell people they can dream again and, ju and just minister and, and buying cheap old weights and saying, okay, we're going to have a weightlifting ministry. And, uh, and everything, every, you know, I, we made everything sound big back then. We're like, we're going to have the world's greatest graffiti wall that you can tag, not all in our back, you know. And, 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 but it, it wasn't a big thing, but it was, it was powerful. And we're just as happy back then when all we had was a desk and a phone on a sidewalk and greeting people with the right spirit as being in the hospital because serving is not a destination. It's not a place that you end up. It's who you are on the inside. That's what brings the joy in life. It's not what you do and accomplish. It's who you are in the inside because who you are, you take with you everywhere that you go. David knocked down a giant, but God said, I need more to happen in you. I'm going to do more than you knock it down giants. You're going to rule nations. In order to do that, I've got to do something in you that will change your life. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person, you can tell, I run 110 miles an hour. I am very antsy. I drive my wife crazy because, I mean, I'm like, I have to be doing things all the time. When we get home, it's like, oh, like my wife and I, we go on dates. We do like nine things in one day. We're like, okay, let's go roller skating. Okay, let's go to a movie. And by the time, yes, I know, it's horrible. It's, I don't even know why she married me, to be honest with you. But, uh, but it's like I have to be doing something all the time. And so for the last 23 years, that's what we've been doing. We have been, like, my dad always taught me that if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space, you know. And uh, so it's, I got to be, be going down a river um, with Colin or something. I got to be jumping off a rock or uh, I, mean, I got to be doing something, you know. And so I, I just, that's my, my nature, my personality. And I have, in all the years of ministry, in 23 years, I have never taken more than two weeks off ministry. Now, that's not good. I'm not bragging saying I'm a warrior for Jesus. It means that I have misplaced priorities and I need to change, all right? So I'm just being honest. I'm not up here saying, oh, Bill, I'm just so faithful in the Lord. I've only taken two weeks off. No, it's because I got serious issues going on that I need to deal with. That's why, you know. And every time I come here, it's like a Dr. Phil episode. I can just unload my heart. It's like I'm getting ready to unleash other sins right now. And I'm gonna, but, but, like, I mean, that's kind of my nature, but it's not always good. It's, it's good for a lot of things, but it's, it's, it's not always the right thing. And so uh, not long ago, um, I, I went through this thing where I was playing in a baseball tournament on a Saturday. We were having this whole tournament, and, and uh, I was playing with our church team, and we were winning games. And, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't make it to first base. I, like, you know, in softball, I mean, come on, it's only 60 feet to first base. I get a base hit, and I'd be running. And there's guys like 320-pound beer belly guys who could run to first. And I was like about 190 pounds. I could barely make it to first. And I would get there. I'd be like, what's wrong? I had to get, like, tons of water. I could barely make it. And then I won the next, and the, but we kept winning. And so the guys were like, are you going to play? I'm like, we're winning, so i got to keep playing, you know. I mean, you know, I'm talking about you can't, like, I don't care if you're dying. you got to keep playing if you're winning, you know. And so we were winning this tournament. <laughs> and there was, I see that guy back there. He's like, yeah, that's true. And um, you're with me, man. I appreciate that. And we, but we just kept winning and winning and winning. And then so finally at the end, I'm in the outfield. For the first time in my life, as, as I was playing left center field, I was praying that we would lose. Because I could make it. I'm like, God, can we just lose? But we were winning by 10 runs in the last inning. And I'm not kidding you. God answered my prayer. We have guys on my team because, like, I cheat. I get all, like, these neighborhood ringer guys to play on my team. And I'm, I, I say, you're on the church team. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, they might be puffing on something. I'm like, hey, stop that, you know. But uh, <laughs> I'm a great recruiter. I'm trying. They're a work in progress, you know. And religion says believe, then you belong. I'm like, you belong, and then you believe, you know. And, uh. And so I'm like, I have to disciple these guys. You know, they're my church softball team in the neighborhood, you know. But, we're like, our guys are awesome. One guy played at the University of Cal State Fullerton shortstop. And, and so all of a sudden, that, that inning, though, everybody couldn't catch the ball. 
like little old pop flies that a first grader could catch. Our guys were dropping them. Balls were getting between people's legs, and they're going to the outfield. And the other team, like I've never seen more comedy of errors from an amazing team in one game. And, and the other team scored 11 runs, came back and won. And I was thinking, Jesus, I'm like, Lord, thank you, because I would have played one more game. I probably would have died. Something's going on. And I went to the hospital, and the doctor said, man, you got blood clots in your lungs. You have a pulmonary embolism. He said, these are covering all of your pathways of breathing. He said, how in the world are you alive? I said, I don't know. Have you ever been to the doctor and you survived something and he got mad at you for being alive? <laughs> because you defied medical reasoning. He's like, uh, why are you alive? I'm like, I don't know. I'm alive. He's like, you should be dead. I'm like, I know. I'm, not, I'm sorry. I'm not dead. And he's like, why aren't you dead? I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm just alive. Is that okay? No, you need to be dead. And uh, because you're defying medical reasoning, you know, and so. And finally, um, we were supposed to go on a vacation on Sunday. So I told him, I said, um, but we're supposed to go on a vacation tomorrow. I go, can I get on the plane and go? Because my nature is to go. I can't stop. And he said, no, if you go on that plane, you're going to die. And then I cried. I was just like, really? I was going to die? If I get you? you will die if you get on that plane. You need to just stay home and rest for a season of your life. And I just cried. And I went home. And every day this lady came in. And she had this big old needle. And she was injecting these shots into my stomach. And then she realized I was a pastor because she saw me on TBN for years. And I couldn't even rest there. I had a counselor for three hours every day. I'm just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I was a captive audience, you know. And she walked in. I was praying for her cousin in the Philippines or her uh, aunt or nephew and the whole thing, taking selfies. It was amazing. And uh, No, it was actually really wonderful, but it was, it was, it was awkward. And uh, she came in every day, and, uh, and, and I was just sitting there, and, and I said, oh, God, what's going to happen to the ministry because I'm not around? I need, to, I need to make this thing successful. I need to push. I need to drive. I need to make it happen. And God just said, you know what? You just need to sit here, and you just need to just rest. And so every day, um, I would just lie there. And you know what happened? The ministry began to grow. I started taking it personal, you know, more... More money was coming in, and things were happening, and I had to cancel all my preaching trips on the road. But yet God was supplying in other ways, and uh, I was just sitting there and just being still and knowing that he is God and, and falling in love with presence more than performance and just saying, God, I just want to know what it's like to live in your performance, I mean, your presence. And, uh, and then I went back to the doctor, and I said, Doctor, am I going to be okay? He said, yep, you're going to be okay. He said, but it looks like you're not going to be running any marathons for the rest of your life. I said, real marathons? I said, why would I want to do that anyways, you know? And, but then I realized those words. He said, it looks like with your condition, you won't be running any more marathons. And I thought to myself, suddenly I feel motivated to run a marathon. Because <laughs> when somebody tells me I can't do something, I'm going to do it, you know? And, and so, <laughs> it was just like you. And so... I got up the next morning, and I could run. All I could do is walk one block. I got up, and I put the Rocky soundtrack on. Rocky Four. Have you seen the Rocky montage? And I'm just like, I'm just, I just started shuffling around that block. And then I said, you know what? Next week, I'm going to go two blocks and three blocks and four blocks. And before long, I, I, I checked into a 5K, and I was like, I was, I, was so, I was like weeping when I finished that, and then a half. And then I finished the L.A. Marathon. I've run four marathons since, or under four hours, and, and all this. And then, and then uh, the other day I was watching the news about something called a World Marathon Challenge. Have you ever heard of this thing? These people run seven marathons and seven continents in seven days. That's right, seven marathons, seven continents in seven days. One more time, seven marathons, seven continents in seven days. 
And I was watching these people, and day one, they were running in Antarctica, 26.2 miles in negative 30 degrees Antarctica. And I sat there and watched. My wife's getting mad. She's like, oh, no, I know where this is heading. She's like, turn the channel, turn the channel, you know. And uh, she was trying to turn the channel. No, do not turn the channel. I am fascinated. And then day two, they got on the plane, and they went down to Chile, and they ran in Chile. Day two, South America, the second continent. And then they got on a plane. They spent 12 hours on a continent before they went to the next one. That's it, 12 hours. Got off the plane, ran, got back on the plane. And then through day three, Miami, um, North America. And then they got on the plane and went to Madrid, Spain, day four. And then Morocco, Africa, day five. And then Dubai, Middle East, six. And they finished on the Sydney Opera House on day seven. And, and they end up in Sydney, Australia, which is its own continent, obviously, because I'm an expert at this stuff, on the last day. And I saw that, and I said, you know what? I believe I could do this. And then I did something which no pastor should do. You commit yourself from the pulpit, then you're like, oh, man, now I got to do it. And, uh, and so next January, I'm going to run the world, only the 31st person ever to run the World Marathon Challenge in seven continents after seven days. So this might be the last time you ever see me. So God bless you. I love you. You're wonderful people. Thank you for being so kind to us all these years, you know. And, and as I laid in that bed, you know what God began to speak to me? He just began to speak to me. He said, I, I want you to start loving things in your life. You don't love enough things in your life. I want you to take on challenges. I, I learned to run. I run every morning in the Rose Bowl, Pasadena. And I just learned to just not run, have no music, and just worship in the presence of God. And, uh, and just, and every day, and I just began to take on, I learned to love life. I didn't love life. I was so driven to, to, to accomplish. And God said, I can do the things that you need. I can do more than your effort. I just need you to love what you're doing, having a good spirit, give the best you can, and rest. And love the life that I've called you to live and take on these wonderful challenges of hanging out with Colin in the bottom of the river, eating candy bars and smuggling them into my tent in the middle of the night. There's nothing greater in life than that. And I begin to realize very quick that God on the inside, can do more than anything that you want to accomplish on the out. And now I'm just living in the supernatural moment. I'm, I'm living in a, a place now where God's blessing more than, than I could ever try to, to plan anymore. And, just, and God's saying, you know what, you're, you, you, because you love mar marathons like a metaphor for your life, and you just got to keep shuffling down there and just keep going to that finish line. I've given you something out there. But you need to understand that I am moving even in times where you don't think that you're moving. When you're out there on that surfboard, I've never surfed, so I'm really uh, moving into dangerous territory because I don't get it. But I, I mean, I get it, but I can't do it. I tried once. I felt miserably. I don't want to do it again. But, but when you guys are out there surfing, you're waiting for that swell to come. Sometimes you're not riding the wave. You're just out there sitting on that board waiting for something to happen. But the waves will come at some point. And some of you are in that battle, and the waves will come. The miracles will come. The currents will come. It will turn in your favor again. But you cannot despise the moments that you're in right now. Because the moment that you are in, God is preparing you for long-term success. And sometimes simply enduring is success on a very large scale. Sometimes learning to worship God when nothing's going right is a very huge step towards long-term success. Sometimes hanging in there in your marriage when everyone else says that you have no chance. From the, many, many of you, from the moment you got married, people say your marriage is destined to fail. From the, they didn't even give you 24 hours. Now all these other marriages are falling apart. 20 years later, they're like, how are you guys still together? But you just keep enduring. You keep 
getting through and learning and growing and developing and not quitting along the way. God's doing something in your life. You might not even know it. The greatest work might be happening in you, and you're in, the, you're in a season where everyone said, well, uh, your demise has started. No, you're, you're probably just in the best season of your life. And David went to the cave and was preparing him for the palace. That's what God is doing to you.